there's such confusion when it comes to health, but health is really simple. It's just brain to body communication. And when there's an interference there, things just don't work right. Kind of like when you have the conductor, right, of a symphony that leaves and they're not there to like fine tune all the little things, it's still going to work. They can still play their music, but it might not be perfectly orchestrated and harmonious. So the role of this intelligence and communication is to maintain everything in harmony. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Today on the show, we've got longtime friend and colleague, Dr. Drew Versalino. Now, Dr. Drew and I go way back, back to the early kettlebell days. And ever since we first met, the way we see the world, our core values, the way we approach relationships has been so similar. It's really allowed us to drop in and develop a long-standing friendship. Now, also in that time, I've been a patient of Dr. Drew and the specific branch or form of chiropractic that Drew offers is called upper cervical care. Now that just focuses on the first two bones of the neck and the powerful effect that that style of treatment when done well can have on the rest of the body. And so in today's podcast, we go deep into that topic. We go into the history of chiropractic. We go into the role of the nervous system and truly why why do some people get well and why do some people stay stuck in their healing journey? So get ready to learn a lot. We're going to dive right in with Dr. Drew and myself. We first met in the kettlebell kind of arena in the kettlebell circuit, yeah. but you know, as we developed our friendship, I really got to know you at a deeper level and we've had some incredible experiences together and uh, I really got to see and experience the power of the work that you do, mm -hmm. uh, which is upper cervical chiropractic. And we're going to be going into that. But really, one of the things that I've known about upper cervical care, and then especially working with you, because I've, I've actually worked with different upper cervical chiropractors over the years, is oftentimes, from my understanding and my experience, people do not seek out the specialty of upper cervical mm -hmm as like a, a first thought. It's usually not like when someone's got a pain, a dysfunction, sleep issues or whatever, that's usually not the first thing that they go to. And so oftentimes people tend to see you after they've exhausted a whole laundry list of other uh, pain management modalities, other practitioners or whatever it may be. And so what I'm really curious about first to kick this off is what is the type of work that you do? And really, what do you see as standing in the way of most people like to getting better in their health or relieving pain. So let's start it off with that, brother. Well, one of the things is just to kind of bring a little bit of a context to it is, you know, most people, when they hear about chiropractic, they're either thinking about someone like adjusting their neck, their back, their hips, uh, what they see, you know, on videos on TikTok or YouTube. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that's, it's no fault of their own. They're just, there's just not a lot of exposure, right? But the, there's variations in technique where there's like specialties. So there's the upper cervical people. There's a bunch of other different things out there. The upper cervical work in particular is mainly focused on what's going on and how is it affecting the brainstem, being that essential part of your nervous system that controls all of the different vital functions. So like when I got into it, and this is part of, well, backstepping just a little bit. 
when people tend to have pain, right? Or some sort of issue that they don't want to deal with, or they just don't like having, right? So whether it's pain, uh, aches in the body, discomfort in the digestive system, they're usually seeking that, uh, that quick fix, the pain management, right? And, you know, and that, that's fine. A lot of times there's different practitioners, whether it's massage, chiropractic, acupuncture, that will kind of help those things. But if we want to get more to the root cause, we, we got to sort of dig a little bit deeper. And what I've found is that once we start to understand how the body functions, then we can begin to look for ways to improve our health overall. Right. And so in the upper cervical world or in the upper cervical technique is let's see how the top two bones of the neck literally are influencing how the brainstem functions or how the nervous system functions. That's kind of the, the starting point of it, how I got into it and why I'm like going down this path versus more traditional chiropractic techniques is my own, my own journey or mm-hmm. my own personal healing journey of I used to work full-time, go to school full-time. This is before I was getting into chiropractic. I was mainly doing um, personal training and looking into how I can use that, how I can do that as a profession. And, you know, I started to run myself down. And, you know, I was in my, you know, early to mid-20s, so I could push through it, right? But the way it was happening was I would go to school in the mornings, let's just say from like 8 to 12-ish, And then I would typically work from two to 10, maybe three to 11. And then on the weekends, I might have a shift uh, because I was working security. (laughs) Really? I was working security at Apple. So it wasn't like I was, yeah, I wasn't like a, you know. (laughs) I don't think I knew that. Yeah. I wasn't like bouncing people out of bars or whatever, but you know, Apple has their like privacy and all that kind of stuff. So they, they need all kinds of security. So, but they have tons of shifts. And so. I would work sometimes, like I said, two to 10. Sometimes I would work from like three to midnight or sometimes I would also work from like 4 a.m. till noon. Wow. And so it, it would just be this like mishmash of like how I had to manage my day. And eventually it got to a point, oh, before that I was also working as a bar back, you know, and a nightclub. So I was staying up until, you know, two, three, four in the morning sometimes. How many years ago was this? Was this when I first met you or no, this was this is, before? This, this is old. Time okay. Yeah. <laughs> so this was like undergrad. I was going to school, you know, full time. I, well, I actually was working two jobs. So school full time in the morning. Then I would go and work a job from like, um, you know, 12 to about seven. And then on Thursday, Friday, Saturday or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I would work at a, at a nightclub. Hmm. Uh, and so that was like, you know, whatever it was, eight to two in the morning, eight to three in the morning. And, uh, you know, on top of that, I was trying to, you know, have fun, right? Go out and uh, work out and just enjoy being that young 20s type of, you know, lifestyle. And it got to a point where I started to notice like having a lot of digestive issues, mm. right? Like it was to the point where like, going on dates was just not fun because I would be like, oh man, like, I don't know, like I might have to run to the bathroom. You know, like, I'm not even sure I should even go and do this. Um, all those kind of thoughts that come up. It was like the along came Polly. I just saw that movie. I don't know if you saw that with Ben, Ben still, he had IBS. And so he was eating like ethnic food throughout the movie to hook up with Jennifer Aniston. And, uh, 
Yeah. So that just the image that just came up in my mind. (laughs) Exactly that point. You're like hesitant. So it starts to like kind of mess with you a little bit. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) and, and so what, what would happen was I always thought like, oh, I'm just tired because I'm staying up late. And so I would, you know, sleep in or take a nap, uh, on like a Sunday and fast forward as I got through to like later on in undergrad and eventually made my way to chiropractic college, I started to notice like, I'm not sleeping. Mm. And, you know, the program, the first year, year and a half is pretty much Monday through Friday. Like you're there from your first class starts at seven and you're not done until three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon. So it's just study, study, study. And I was like, man, I'm waking up every, I'm waking up almost every single hour throughout the night. Right. So I would go to bed, whatever it was, 10, 11 o'clock. I would wake up at like one, then two, then three. Mm. And before you know it, I had to be up at like five thirty, six 6 AM. And I started losing weight. I went into chiropractic college, probably at about 150. And then about a year and a half in, I got almost all the way down to like 135. Holy shit. I lost a lot of weight. Yeah. And I was like, what's going on here? And in the meanwhile, just having those digestive issues. And all that time, I was seeking out different professionals. Right? I w- I'd seen a functional medicine practitioner who just so happened to be a chiropractor. Um, I was working through doing a lot of stuff on my own, researching like all these different things with gut dysbiosis, uh, SIBO infection. I'd done the stool test to see like, you know, I actually did have a parasite. I actually did have the... Um, hmm. What is it? SIBO? SIBO. Yeah. Small yeah. intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Yeah. Yep. And so I did those protocols and it was just like, you know, kill all the bad stuff and, and do some probiotics afterwards. A little bit helped, but I was still having the sleep issues. So where I'm getting with all this is like, I was like, why am I not getting better? Mm. I listened to this professional person who's in the functional medicine world and I'm doing all this stuff. I'm following the paleo diet, the autoimmune protocol, I'm working on my sleep. Um, you know, I wasn't quite understanding or knew much about mindset at that point, but I knew there was something there. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get better. That's pretty much all I knew. I was like, I'm going to get there. And um, finally, when I got to chiropractic school, I heard about this thing called upper cervical. And I was like, well, I've tried everything else. Let's give it a shot. One of my professors, who's now a mentor of mine, you know, he had a practice, which is now the practice that I'm in, in Dublin. I went to go see him and, you know, did the whole workup. And about two months into starting to receive the care, which is completely different from most chiropractic, like the goal is to actually not get adjusted. Yeah. You know, I got, I received a few adjustments over the first couple of weeks or months. And then after about two months, I started to recognize, I'm like, man, I'm sleeping throughout the night. My wife, she started to recognize, she's like, man, you're not, you're not uh, waking up throughout the middle of the night. You're not complaining about being tired all the time. I started to put on more weight in a good way. Um, and I just started to feel so much better and the gut issues just sort of disappeared. And so at that point, I was about a year and a half or so into chiropractic school. I felt like I had a moral, kind of like moral uh, dilemma of what I was going to do. <laughs> and uh, so I decided to go down this upper cervical route and I've just been blessed that I've learned about it and excited to share it with people ever since. 
Mm, wow, that's fascinating, man. I don't think I knew that whole story, especially you being a, a bar back and yeah, yeah. working at clubs <laughs> and security, dude. I, all, I know man. you as Dr. Drew. Yeah, <laughs> I was doing it all. <laughs> well, there's a few things that came up in there that I thought was really interesting. And through my experience with different upper, upper cervical chiros, um, and then you in specific, you, well, that's actually funny because you practice, you work, for, you work with and for the specific mm-hmm. chiropractic branch. But that being said, it's a very different experience from, from, especially from the client perspective. And you touched on that, but you know, a few things that stand out to me is maybe for lack of better word, just like precise. Mm-hmm. Some of like your work is like, it's all, there's x-rays that are taken before you even remotely work on anyone just looking at the neck region. And, you know, you've got your, uh, you know, obviously the way that you take those x-rays and to gather the information. And then when you set up, it's actually really interesting because like when I watch you and we, we film this a few times when you have adjusted me, because Mm -hmm. you're exactly right. The goal in, from what I've learned from you is to not adjust. So if someone is in alignment, you don't adjust. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I love watching you get set up because it's literally like, I don't even know if the analogy would be like when you watch like a baseball picture, the rituals and the routines and not the superstitions, but like you've got your pose, your posture, like you lean in, you, you do this thing with your arms. It's like you're winding up for like a world series pitch. Yeah. And then you set your hands right on the neck over the table or on my neck and then pop pop. And, uh, and I know obviously the different styles they practice differently in terms of that, but it's, it's just a very interesting experience having worked with a whole series of practitioners. Um, but yeah, is there anything that comes up with that? Yeah. I mean, um, it's sort of like, you know, the, the idea or the concept of not needing the adjustment, I think is by far the biggest, like questionable thing for people who have been to chiropractors in the past, Mm. because they typically will go to a chiropractor and I'm like, and they're, and they're thinking, I'm coming here to get adjusted. I'm coming here for this person to fix me. Mm. And I want, philosophically, my goal is to help people to understand, it's like, we're not really fixing you. You're fixing yourself. We're just here to kind of help move things along, remove the interference, right? You know, the concept of that is like, and then I was listening to the one podcast you did with, uh, with the breathwork guy. Oh, Stephen Jaggers. Yeah. Yeah. And he talks about this beautifully of like, there is an inborn innate intelligence within your body that's able to heal anything. And so the goal is to remove the interference. And it just so happens to be the most significant part of the body that causes that in our work. And what we've found is the upper cervical spine. And so the idea is, well, if that's true, are you always needing an adjustment? That doesn't, that doesn't quite make sense. Cause how come there's millions of people who've never seen a chiropractor and they live a full life? Mm. You know what I mean? And so it's like, well, how, how, how well are they doing? Are they at hundred percent potential? Let's, let's measure that the best we can. What are the tools we have? And so that's that thermography scanner. Oh, that that's right. I forgot time. about that, that heat scanner behind the neck that you use. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? What does that do exactly? So that is essentially what it is, is digital thermography. So if you ever remember seeing like a predator. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where you see everything in the heat signature. Yeah. Right now, you know, over the last couple of years with this whole COVID thing is they have those cameras where you walk into a store and you can see like your heat signature. Mm. That's thermal imaging. And so thermal imaging, what they found uh, through the science is that two symmetrical parts of your body, whether it's your hands, you know, left cheek, right cheek, um, arms, wherever it is on the body, they should be within a very narrow temperature difference side to side. 
Interesting. And particularly paraspinally or along the spine, it should be within a very narrow range, 0.3 to 0.5 degrees Celsius. So when it's outside of that range and it's persistently like that, like if I check you right now and then 15 minutes from now and I check you tomorrow or the next day and it's just consistently in that way, that pattern, I know that there's a neurological interference there. So what are the different ways that we can address that? Well, you can do breath work, you can change your diet, you can, you know, scare someone, all of that's going to change your neurology. Mm. But one of the biggest factors is the upper cervical spine. And then through the science, through the neurology and all this cool circuitry that we have, uh, they've shown that whether it's doing an adjustment or just simply stimulating the afferents, which are the, the mechanoreceptors that feed into your brainstem, uh, it'll literally change how your physiology expresses itself. So we can do pre and post scans and see Oh, now there's neurological symmetry. We know the body's meant to heal itself. Let's just give it some time. Let's get out of the way. But if I go in there and adjust it again or, you know, provide an impulse, uh, I could be potentially causing ligament laxity or giving your body too much that it doesn't really need. That's, that's the concept of not always needing to adjust someone is like, we just need to get out of the way. Mm. Let the body do what it's meant to do. Now, is that, I think if I recall way back, maybe years ago, you had shared something to the effect of like the creator of chiropractic was, mm-hmm. was that the guy named Palmer or something like that? Yeah. BJ. BJ, can you share a little bit about him and the philosophy? Of him? Cause I know that was a big influence on you. And like you had shared years ago, I just remember us downstairs sipping espresso like <laughs> usual and you were breaking down some shit. And I was just like, man, that is fascinating. So what was, how does that influence or how does that connect to what you're saying right now? And what, what was his big I mean, I know he's the founder of it, but like, yeah, what was some of the influence that he had on you? Yeah, it gets kind of deep into the, you know, philosophy. Okay. okay. And it's, it's very interesting. But so, you know, it was his father, D.D. Palmer was the one who basically did like the first, uh, first adjustment, right? What they, what they recorded. How long, do you have any idea when this was? Because he's obviously dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, 1895. Okay, he's definitely dead. <laughs> yeah, definitely dead. Uh, <laughs> so D.D. Palmer was the first one. I think it was his janitor. He was some kind of teacher or instructor or something like that. But the janitor in the building, the story goes, uh, the janitor in his building heard like a pop in his neck one day uh, when he was bending down to get something. And then ever since then, he lost his hearing. Okay. So he was telling D.D. Palmer like, hey, I heard this pop in my neck. And obviously he can't hear at this point. He's deaf, but he was like communicating to him. And um, D.D. Palmer's like, oh, well, there's this. Basically, the short version is, oh, there's a lump in your neck. Lay on the table. I'm going to shove that lump and see if see if that fixes it. Okay. <laughs> That's the shortened version. <laughs> right. And so, you know, pops his neck and then magis- magically he gets his hearing back. Mm. So they're like, oh, that's really interesting. What if there's like a, what if there is something there? Let's look into this further. You know, through time, they started to see like, okay, well, this person has a lump in his neck. Let's shove that and see what happens. (laughs) And sometimes people would get their hearing back, sometimes not. But they started to market themselves as like, we can help people restore their hearing. Wow. We can fix deafness. (laughs) So from a marketing perspective. That's a big ass claim. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is 1895. Oh, dude, yes. Newspapers. And this is kind of like part of the basis why they why chiropractors have been looked at so crazy like oh they're quacks and whatnot because they marketed that way interesting okay you know, there's a bunch of other things too in the, the whole ama and they're in the 80s and whatnot the whole conspiracy the medical society like put against them but yeah so that was the beginning 
And then somewhere in the early 1900s, they created the school, the Palmer School of Chiropractic. And it was, it was a whole evolution of them trying to find one cause, one cure. Because hmm. they were like, how can this guy sitting in the same room, living in the same uh, environmental you know, status, eating the same foods, be totally fine, yet this guy over here is sick. Hmm. Like simplistically, that's what, they, that's what we were looking at. Why is this guy okay? Why is this guy sick? And so for me, I always found that fascinating. I'm like, oh, that's pretty interesting. The typical way we would like explain that would be like, oh, genetics and, and all this kind of stuff. But they were like, yeah, we don't know. They didn't know anything about genetics at that point. So they were trying to, they were trying to figure it out. And uh, BJ Palmer, the son, was the one who sort of took the work and just really went deep into it. And so through an evolutionary process of almost 60 years, but the first 30 years, he was trying to like figure out what's the one cause, one cure. So they went from, you know, shoving all the lumps in the spine and, you know, like, oh, this nerve goes to the stomach. So let's push on that bone and maybe that'll help out the stomach. Mm. This nerve right here goes to the heart, you know, from mid thoracic. Let's shove on that. Maybe that'll help out the heart. Very simplistic uh, format, right? There's some validity to it. Uh, but ultimately, all those nerves have to pass up back through the brainstem. And now that we've learned more about neurology and how all that stuff works, that is really the master control center. That's how you process information, both to and from the brain. And I think this is, as a side note, I think this is why there's such confusion when it comes to health, but health is really simple. It's just brain to body communication. And when there's an interference there, things just don't work right. Mm. It's kind of like you have a third grade classroom and then the teacher walks out. What happens? <laughs> Shit show. Shit show, right? <laughs> but they're all still doing their thing. They're not dying. They're, right. they're still in there. So when you have the when you have the kind of like instructor or or conductor, right, of a symphony that that leaves and they're not there to like fine tune all the little things, it's still going to work. They can still play their music, but it might not be perfectly orchestrated and harmonious. So the the job or the role of this intelligence and communication is to maintain everything in harmony for survival, adaptation, and growth. So anyways, over time, BJ was like testing out all these things. So he created, and he's an entrepreneur too, it's crazy. The whole story, too long to go into, but he created the first like paraspinal thermography type of instrument and was looking for where, where is this, you know, where is this interference occurring and how can we fix it? And through this evolutionary process, early 1930s, he built, this is crazy, early 1930s, BJ Palmer built a million dollar research clinic. Wow. Half of it was medical. Then the other half was just purely chiropractic. And so the way it would work was people would go in, they would go to the medical side, they would do urine tests, blood tests. I believe they would also take whatever x-rays and some sort of analysis and workup for whatever ailment they had sealed up in a, in a manila envelope or folder put aside, boom, check out, go over to the chiropractic side. They wouldn't know anything about all of that stuff chiropractic assessment. So looking for nervous system function, taking the x-rays, orthopedic exams, and then they would treat them based off of that. Usually it was somewhere between a month to maybe like two months in the hospital setting. So they were checking them every single day. Mm. Once they were deemed permanently corrected, then they would go back over to the medical side, get checked out again. And there was a, 
can't remember the exact uh, percentage, but there was a large majority, I want to say 70, 80% of people had improvements in all these other markers, blood markers, urine markers, symptomatic wise, uh, without knowing anything about the diagnosis. Fascinating. Yeah. So with that, back, you know, this is in the 30s. Now we can look at that today and see like, well, how do we quote unquote prove that with the science that we know? Right? We have clinical evidence. We see it all the time in my clinic and many other clinics uh, where people have improvements in things like migraines, um, you know, autoimmune diseases like Parkinson's, MS, uh, fibromyalgia, all sorts of different issues. But how does that work? That was always a question for me is like, how does that work? Why do people like, why, why do people, some people get well, and then why, pe- why are some people still stuck? And that was kind of like, you know, tying it all together with my evolution or my journey was like, doing all these things, why am I still stuck? And then I finally found this answer for me, which was, I just need that, that nervous system balance. And now it's to a point, just kind of catching on to my own, uh, my own journey. I get checked uh, pretty regularly. I'm actually seeing an intern at the, at the chiropractic college because I'm teaching there now. Yeah, that's right, dude. Yeah. Hell so, yeah, dude. Congratulations on yeah. that. That's, that's beautiful, man. Yeah, so now I'm getting checked, uh, but I, I mean, I'm, I very rarely actually ever get adjusted. Maybe once every two to three months. Now, after about six months of running the Path Podcast, I can say from all my heart that I am loving having these conversations with passionate, wise, and heart-centered people. Now, since day one, my objective has always been to learn alongside you and really just provide a platform where we can have helpful and interesting discussions. Now, I do have a request because there's something that I could really use your help with, and that is in order to make not only this show better to inform the discussions that we have, the guests that we bring on, but also helpful YouTube content and maybe even some of the programs that I design in the future, I would love your feedback and your input. And so in the show notes, I am including a survey. It shouldn't take you more than a few minutes, but what you provide will directly impact what I create. And once again, the evolution of this show. So if you can please check out the show notes, a link will be there. Shouldn't take you more than a few minutes and your help is super appreciated. Thank you so much. So with that, brother, you know, you had shared and then my, in my own story as well, which you know very well of when I had the, the arm issue and I was going to see all these different practitioners and then that led me to Paul. And, you know, I'm, I'm bringing that up because like you've had this insatiable, as, I, as have I, this insatiable quest for just curiosity and learning and discovery. And you know, that's really led you to, as you mentioned, working with all these different practitioners and, and like we're in it in the mm-hmm. sense, like we're in the health and wellness and performance space. So I don't want to say it's kind of like an unfair advantage, but at the same time, like this is what all we think about day in, day out, all of our conversations when we hang out, the friend circles that we have, the books that we read, mm-hmm. like we are so in this space. And I imagine that many people listening, listening to this podcast in some way, shape or form are listening because they want to learn. Yeah. Now, for the vast majority of the population, that's probably not true. Or I would say that's not really, like they may not share, especially at the level that you, like this is our profession. This is what we live. This is our purpose. And so with that, you know, I know that exposure is a big thing, you know, for people to actually be aware that this type of modality or these types of treatments, these alternative modalities even exist. But for anyone listening who may not even be in, in the health and wellness space or maybe is, 
what comes up for me is because everything that you've shared is tied back to the nervous system yep. and is tied back to fucking every single damn near function in the body. And also, you know, studying and working with Paul so closely, that's really how I first heard of upper cervical was in his totem pole, which is basically a, I would just say a, uh, a system or a thought process that he developed via the different hierarchies of control systems in the body mm -hmm. via when someone is in pain or dysfunction, what is actually the root cause of those pains and to start looking at one by one. So things like uh, eyesight, hearing, mastication, uh, looking at the upper cervical, organ and glandular function, like all of these things before we actually, someone has a knee issue, unless it's due to like a direct impact trauma, like they, I don't know, fucking tripped over a curb or something and fell on their knee. If you can't I exactly identify it was from that specific instance of trauma, then likely the root cause is coming from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So that's where I first started hearing about it. But all that said, you know, what I'm curious about is, are there any classic things that speak to you in terms of why someone might start investigating deeper to potentially see someone who's in, like yourself an upper cervical? Like, are there any classic things that you're like, if you're experiencing this, I would highly recommend or any type of insight into why and when might someone want to seek you out or someone like what you do out? That's a great question. I think for me, what that sort of embodies or like the first thing that comes to mind is you have someone who is maybe in chronic or constant pain. Okay. And, or not necessarily just pain, but their health issue is just not clearing up with the different things that they're quote unquote trying. Mm. Right. So they're doing the different lifestyle factors. So I know we, you know, we've talked about that a lot. So there's the breath work, there's, you know, make sure you get clean water, food, sleep, all those sorts of things. The foundations. The foundations. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the, performance seeking individual who is like, they've got that pretty much under control, but they're like, I wonder if I can gain an extra couple percentage on my whatever, whether it's a lift or I can, you know, have more mental clarity when I'm doing my work. I think there's sort of two areas there, but in general, most people are looking to get out of pain okay, or get out of some sort of dysfunction. Okay. And when things aren't working. So all of those things for lifestyle or are meant to support the function of the nervous system. So when you're breathing or you have abnormal breathing, what is that causing, right? So you have blood gases that are changing up and down, carbon dioxide, oxygen. We kind of both know that, but the oxygen advantage talks about like when someone's breathing too much, you know, and they have too much oxygen, that, that whole, that whole um, conundrum that can affect the state of their nervous system. Absolutely. Right. Yep. They could be stuck in that fight or flight state because they're breathing too much. Literally like they're suffocating because they have too much oxygen mm. is the way I sort of look at it. You know, they might have just toxic overload from their food, what they're putting in and on their body. Maybe their sleep is not so good. What are the other ones where we're talking about? Air, food, water. Uh, our thoughts and basically our thoughts and emotions as like mm -hmm. the psyche as being probably the number number one are very high up there in terms of the foundations, uh, sleep movement, our environment and community and connection and whatever that looks like for someone. Yeah. Sleep, all those things. So when you're addressing those things and you're still not quite where you want to be, mm. then I would say, let's look at what's going on with the state of function of your nervous system. Cause we're all assuming that it's working at a hundred percent, right? We're all yeah. assuming like nervous system's working. I'm alive. That's great. But can we actually use some sort of testing to see 
is it actually there? And that's where that paraspinal thermography scanning actually comes into play. And so we can actually get a proper assessment of what's going on there. The other alternative to that would be your heart rate variability okay. testing, right? The difference is uh, the heart rate variability testing usually takes several minutes and there are things you can do immediately to change heart rate variability, just some simple breath work. But what I'm, what I'm looking at is what is, here's the question is, what is the universal force that's acting on your body 24 seven, whether you're awake or you're asleep, whether you care about it or not? Breath? Gravity. Gravity. Oh, fuck. Okay. All right. Gravity, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Gravity, universal force, always pulling us, you know, pulling yeah, us breath down. breath is not a force. Thank you. Thank you for clearing. <laughs> yeah. Stumped you know? me. Right? So <laughs> the thing is, is like, okay, if we know that to be true, then we have, what we now do is we have a dedicated system within our bodies that's meant to interact with that. Mm. Sort of think about like your brain literally has like a Google map of every single part of your body knows where it is in space. And one of the biggest things that we need for survival is our ability to balance. Mm. Right. So I need to be able to walk down the stairs. I need to be able to judge the distance so that I don't fall over and hit my head. Cause if I do that, that's bad for survival. Mm. And when you look at, this is what's really cool. at least to me <laughs> looking at this stuff is there's this, there's this thing of, how much uh, information comes into the brain and they're called mechanoreceptors. What, yeah, I know there's different types of receptors. You got nociceptors, mechanoreceptors. What's, what is it? What are, can you explain mechanoreceptors, what that is? Because you shared that earlier. I think that'd be helpful. Yeah, so nociceptors would be pain. Yep. Right? Like, so if you touch something hot or you get stabbed or something like that, that would be a pain <laughs> signal. Okay. Right? But proprioception or mechanoreceptors tell our brain um, the length of the muscle, how much tension it's under, and you know where it is in space okay right so that way we can grab we can actually find the food bring it to the mouth or we can also run away but in order for me to balance like let's just say i'm standing just standing on two legs you know if you raise up one arm one of the other muscles is going to fire for instance is going to be somewhere in your lower limbs and in your core so you don't fall over right right um, so those are the mechanoreceptors and it's just a constant feedback loop. But when they look at the density of what's called muscle spindles, which is the part of that mechanoreception, the density in the upper cervical spine, like the, the top couple muscles up there that are connecting like the skull to the first bone or the first bone to the second one, mm. they're on orders of magnitude much more dense with information, almost like 10 to 20 times than what you would have in your hands. And these are like super fine motor control, right? We need to be able to throw stuff, grab stuff. But if you're thinking like almost 10 times as much information coming from up here, that's a significant input. And what we've seen too is when they do these studies, how much of an influence it can be just by stimulating with the, the afferent is what they call them, the information going at the brain. Uh, but when they stimulate those, it has effects on the heart. It has effects on the, on the, uh, on the lungs. It has effects on different aspects of your body, whether it's the, the organs and what they've seen. And now we, we know the circuitry, it affects the blood vessels. So one of the most famous upper cervical studies done is how uh, upper cervical care has been shown to be more effective than two uh, blood pressure medications. Wow. Right. So if we rewind that and look deep into it, we're going kind of deep into the science here. So if we rewind that, it. kind of go deep into it, what is blood pressure sort of made up of more or less? Some of the simple things is if you think about um, the 
the arterial venous system is basically just like a, a, the heart is sort of like a pump. And then you have all the blood vessels are like hoses. And the thickness of the hose, right? Like how, how thick it is, that's a smooth muscle, right? And so muscles either going to constrict or relax. Well, the only way muscles constrict or relax is if a nerve tells it to do so. Right. Right. And so the analogy I always use is like, if you get embarrassed, how quickly does your face like turn red flush? Like it's almost instantaneous, right? Mm -hmm. So what's that a function? That's a function of your nervous system being like, okay, stress mode. Let's shunt blood from one area of the body, move it somewhere else. So if you're in a stress state, like let's just say you ate a big meal, all the blood's rushing to the gut, but then all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> like a mountain lion comes at you, what are you going to do? That blood's going to go away, go to your legs, go to your heart, lungs, boom, so you can get out of there. So we don't want to be stuck in that stress mode, right? But as we're using that as an example, that also brings heat to the body when you're delivering the blood. So when we use the paraspinal thermography scanner, we're looking at heat on the surface temperature of the skin. And like I was saying earlier, we can use that to analyze what's, what's the state of the nervous system. Because if it's out of that balance, then we can, we can definitely see like, okay, interference here. So that's kind of like tying in the neurology of what's going on and understanding how we can use a, a, an objective measure to figure out how we can um, monitor someone's progress. And that's how we can, we can clinically say like, okay, no adjustment today. Or you know what? I don't need to see you once a week for the rest of your life to crack your back. I just need to see you to check in on you to make sure you're okay. Mm. And it's very similar in that sort of model of like, what are you doing as your homework, right? Are you doing your exercises? Are you doing your uh, mobility to keep your body moving every once in a while? Maybe things get back out of whack and you need an adjustment, but for the most part, we're pretty resilient. That's fascinating. And, and what it's bringing up as well is, you know, when we look at that, that component of homework of really, you know, putting it on the, the client to be an active participant in their own healing. You know, I think a lot of people, um, and maybe parts of me in the past or even parts of me to this day, like when, especially when I go see a massage therapist, like I just want to like, I want to be fully passive. I want to have just like be fully relaxed and they will do their treatment on me. But that being said, like most people going to see practitioners, quote unquote, like you mentioned earlier, want to get fixed and want to put their responsibility of their own healing onto someone else. And I really do believe that the beautiful thing about how you practice, especially is it, it puts the power back in the individual. And that is, you know, for example, just using the example of like the Eldoa system or even a system like FRC, or I know you've done foundation training work. These are all modalities that really, especially as a homework perspective to help integrate into people's daily life. One of the most, I would say the, one of the underlying commonalities between all of those three, let's say mobility or systems of uh, increasing space and, and putting the body in a better position to heal itself is the fact that they all incorporate the nervous system. It's not necessarily passive stretching. Uh, maybe not that there's a time and a place for that, but when we're actually talking about creating greater levels of mobility, which is going to be the combination simply stated as flexibility and strength mm -hmm. and really teaching the body that it can be safe in some of these positions, some of these awkward positions or these ranges of motion, you have to incorporate the nervous system. That's fucking, that's why LDOs are so challenging for many reasons, but it's because it is, it is fully, fully, fully 
educating the body and incorporating the nervous system through these new positions, through these ranges. And of all those three, I would say homework modalities. And when you take someone like you, who knows how to assess the body and knows how to focus on some of the higher, how to, how to prioritize, you know, your approach. Um, and you put the, the client in the position that they can take this, uh, and not see you for the rest of their life, but then give them some suggestions as well, or point them in a direction of things that they can use to integrate this stuff into their daily life. And I, and I've shared this, I think on my podcast with Justin Bryan, who's, uh, an Aldoa, uh, teacher, uh, educator, badass, badass <laughs> you know, shout out to Justin, you know, one of the things that, that I appreciate so much about Justin is, um, he's all about really, you know, teaching you to help heal yourself and, and setting you up to, to succeed to where, you know, I always say my ther- when I started learning modalities like that, my therapy bill, especially when I was a competitive athlete. And you remember when I was just investing yeah. so much time and money into my self-care, my ther- quote therapy bill or what I was doing for self-care dropped almost 50%. And it was just an amazing thing because it really empowered me, especially as like an athlete who's like investing so much and trying to be at the highest level. It's like, you really only have so much time, energy and, re- and financial resources. So you really got to get very, you know, sometimes crafty and really got to learn how to prioritize. And so I just really appreciate what you shared and that homework aspect of, and being disciplined with it, you know, cause otherwise I imagine you've, uh, you know, please share your experience with this, but you know, I imagine, you know, maybe, maybe the, the, the thread of why people don't get better is because they're coming to you with that expectation just to be fixed and they're not doing shit outside. Mm-hmm. What's that been for you? Is that, yeah, that, that really resonates with me. And it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, it, what it brings up for me is like that, um, you know, that other question of what's your, what's like, what's your why? Mm. Why do you do this? That's what makes me think of as you were asking that. And for me, it's always, how can I lead by example? And I think when I've asked multiple patients, like what's at the core, what are they trying to get out of their treatment? It's uh, they want to be a better spouse. They want to be there for their children, right? They want to lead by example for their family, but for some reason they're, you know, they're held back by like a physical ailment. So this was like, this was kind of that thing of, you know, we, we've done a lot of this work and I've, you know, I've gone to your retreat, the men's retreat and phenomenal stuff. And I think one of the things that I've found looking at a lot of the personal growth and development work is we say like, okay, well, what's in the mindset there's, it's, I don't know if it's a hundred percent all in the mind, but a lot of times it's like, well, what are the things that are holding you back? What are the blockages? And the way I look at it is like, we can do all that work, but what if there's that physical ailment that's just like stopping you from getting there, mm. right? What if there's like some ache or pain that you just but have, like what's an energy leak that you haven't been able to deal with uh, because there's like a physical blockage there. So that's, that's like the thing that like from the passive approach, you know, like doing the actual adjustment on someone, but from there, yeah, that is the homework. Like you have to go and you have to do that. So we, we're, we're hardware and software, right? I'm, I'm a little bit working on the hardware for you. Right, monitoring the software, but ultimately you have to reprogram that. And, you know, when it comes to that, so getting back to kind of like my reason for doing this or my why is like, I've found that for me, getting this corrected and then doing the homework for myself. That's why I very rarely, if I'd ever have to get adjusted. Um, but one of the biggest things for me is story from one of my patients. Mm. Um, and actually it's on, it's actually on my, uh, my YouTube channel, I think. But Mariano came to me, he was a former Marine, combat Marine. And he was having a lot of those, uh, you know, PTSD like 
symptoms, right? Where uh, there would be those uncontrolled bouts of rage. And, you know, he had two young kids and his spouse. And, um, you know, he came to me just in severe agony and pain in his neck. And so I look at it as like, almost looking at it like chicken or the egg. Is it the neck pain that's causing the anger? Is it the PTS causing the anger? Like, and does it all revolve around? Like what's, what's going on there? Mm. And at the end of it, I'm like, it really doesn't matter. Let's help him find peace, right? Find ease. And one of the ways we can go about addressing it is through the nervous system, right? Because he's tried all these other, he's tried the pain management. He's tried the pills. He's tried the stretches. He's tried this exercises. Let's, let's see if we can find balance in the nervous system. And it doesn't really have to do so much with, I mean, his main thing was neck pain. That's just a correlation that we, you know, adjust the neck. But by getting balance back in his nervous system, he didn't have as much neck pain. Neck pain was almost virtually gone. Wow. He said he was like days or weeks away from having to get surgery to do something there. I guess the surgeon, he talked to a surgeon. He was like, yeah, you got to cut this out and remove these different things. I'm like, well, you know, if you're willing to try this, let's give this a shot. Based on my testing, the radiology report I have, we're actually safe to do this work. Let's begin. And then just within a few sessions, things dramatically change for him pain-wise. And then what's phenomenal, it kind of like gets you choked up as you're watching the testimonial. And like I, I think about it and I kind of get those, those chills is uh, he shares how things changed at home. Mm. How he was able to be a better example for his children. You know, not so much like uh, worried about anger, you know, with his spouse for whatever reasons. And that to me is really the big effect. Because if I can have an effect in one, not me, if I can help someone have an effect in their household, how's that going to affect how they interact out in their jobs, right? At school. And how's that going to affect the community? So it ended, you know, like I look at it as a, how much of an effect can we have on the planet? What's the ripple effect? What's the ripple effect? And that really like tying it all the way back into that, like DDBJ Palmer, there's a, there's a classic quote that most people, most chiropractors have heard of is that you never know how, far reaching something you may think, say, or do today will affect the lives of millions tomorrow. And it's like, like that kind of just like, wow, you know what I mean? Hits me. And so as I'm working with people, that's always what I'm thinking about is let me, let me just try to help this one person, right? Best I can. And so with that, you know, we did the work this morning. I got up at five o'clock so I can be over here, get centered and grounded so that when we share this message and, and hopefully it resonates with people, they can begin to seek out someone who can help them. Today's episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Lifestyle. Now, by now, if you've been a listener to the PATH podcast, I imagine at some point you've heard me discuss the Kettlebell program that I offer, which is a nine-week follow-along Kettlebell workout program. But what I haven't shared in the past is while I am absolutely the, the leader of the program and guiding you through all the workouts, the tutorials, the warm-ups, the working in exercises, I've also brought in some of the greatest mentors that I've had over the years and colleagues. And some of those include Dr. Drew, for example, 
Paul Check, Jator Pierre, who was a guest earlier on the Path podcast, Warren Williams, who was a Czech faculty, and so many more people that shared some of their authentic knowledge and experience in key areas that truly make this the most holistic kettlebell training program in the world. It is the synthesis of all of my knowledge and experience as a coach, along once again with these expert contributors and truly anyone who is looking to better their life holistically, not just learning how to get to a specific goal, let's just say a number on the bar, certain number of kettlebell swings, but who wants to get to a goal and do so while feeling amazing and learn about themselves in the process so that whether you do kettlebell lifestyle or you do any other program in your life, you will learn the fundamental principles of what it takes to develop a long-lasting, healthy body. If you are interested just for being a member of the Path Podcast and subscriber, you will get 20% off. All you got to do is use code PATH20. You can go to the link in the show notes or just go to my website, www.mikesalemi.io. Hit the Kettlebell Lifestyle tab and you'll be taken right to our landing page. Now let's get back to the show. We've talked a lot about the central theme, I would say, that, I, that I'm learning from our conversation is really just the depth and the uh, extent at which the nervous system plays a role in this and how upper cervical care can be one modality to check out, especially if you're not getting better with the ultimate goal to remove, as in your words, remove that interference. Mm-hmm. That said, I'd love if, if you want to, if you can touch on maybe one or two other things that if someone is experiencing that nervous system dysregulation or lack of balance, are there any other, and if, and they've tried maybe like the, the, the foundation, they're living the foundation principles, for example, is there one or two other things that speaks to you uh, on what someone can do or explore to bring them back into balance and to remove some of that interference? As far as not seeing a practitioner? Yeah, maybe outside of chiropractic, for example. Yeah, the, I would say the two biggest things that I always address with people. So when we were look, talking about that hierarchy of like breathing, food, movement, and all that stuff. Sure. The way I always look at it is there are two uh, non-negotiables, the essentials, right? Because you can, you know, you could fast, right? You could not eat. You can, <laughs> you can will yourself to do that. Okay. To not eat for, for days or weeks. You can will yourself to not drink water, but you can only will yourself to hold your breath for so long. Mm. Eventually you might pass out, but then you'll start breathing again, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you can also try to will yourself to stay awake as long as possible, but eventually you're going to fall asleep, mm. right? And as much as people say like, so I used to diagnose myself with insomnia, right? Because I would wake up all the time and I felt like I never actually slept throughout the night, but you can try to stay awake as long as you want, but eventually you will fall asleep even if you don't feel well rested and you could read all the different books and all the literature, everyone eventually falls asleep. So the two things I always suggest or recommend to people is focus on their breath work and then focus on sleep, like their whole entire sleeping from, from the setup, the sleep hygiene to like this, you know, what you're telling yourself about sleep. Uh, and if you need a little bit of help with like monitoring, there's all kinds of devices we're, you know, we're using a device in my office now. Uh, it's a, it's a very specialized, uh, sleep monitoring ring, which is different from like an Apple watch or an aura ring. Uh, cause this thing checks your O2 saturation throughout the entire night. It's not just every 15 or 30 seconds. It's continuous. So there's different devices like that where you can monitor your sleep and really get an idea of what's going on there. So sleep for sure. Dial that in 
the best that you can. Blackout curtains, blue light blocker glasses at night, you know, cold temperature, all that stuff that you can think of. There's tons of blogs out there to figure it out. But the other one is the breath work. And this, you know, you because you've done the Oxygen Advantage stuff. So the two books that I always recommend people get if they want to dive into it. First one I always say is to read Breathe. What's his name? Uh, James Nestor. James Nestor. Yep. That's a great book. Yeah. And that one's, I feel like it's easier to digest that book. Yeah. Then, then Patrick McEwen's work of Oxygen Advantage or the, the Breathing Cure, I think is, or the Breath Cure, the Breathing Cure. And yeah, it's a really interesting read, especially like the studies that they did in there and how they... Uh, correct me if, if I'm getting this wrong, but because it's been a while since I read it, but I think him and another gentleman, like they had uh, plugged their nose. Yeah. So they were forced themselves to mouth breathe for something like a month while they were doing all of these studies, I think at Stanford or something like that, mm-hmm. some high level place. And it was just so fascinating to hear not only you know, some of maybe the objective markers that they were looking at, but I just remember like the subjective, like, you know, just their mental, emotional thoughts and depression and that sort of stuff. But you're exactly right. I mean, uh, that book does it really well and is very, I would say like approachable and interesting for most people to read. Yeah. Much, much more of a story format. Yeah, exactly. Versus the oxygen advantage is just like straight up protocol. Protocols and science. Yeah. This is great. It's great. If you, if you want to like, especially, you know, if you really want to learn that nitty gritty, um, and I think his, his, his oxygen advantage book, there's actually in the audio book or in the written book, I forget, cause I've done read both. I think he even says like, for those of you guys not interested in this ch- science, like skip this entire chapter, skip yeah. these chapters because you will fucking get lost and lose interest. So, yeah. but yeah, I love that book, uh, breathe by James Nestor. Yeah. So they, so they go into it. Those, those are, those are to set the groundwork. Yeah. And the, and the reason being is, so not to go too deep into the science, but uh, I hinted at it earlier as far as like people have too much oxygen in their blood and it feels like they're suffocating. So the very simple, the very simple explanation or idea I always talk about with people is like, if someone's having a panic attack, right? What are they, what's the thing that they always do is they'll grab the paper bag and they'll breathe into the bag. Mm. Like, what does that do? That actually helps them breathe in more carbon dioxide. Right right? So that they can build up more carbon dioxide back into their blood. So what I think about is if someone is, um, we take about what, 20, 20 something thousand breaths a day. Yeah, at least for sure. So your breathing mechanics using your accessory breathing muscles versus more, more so diaphragm and kind of working with the flow. So the accessory being like the, the neck muscles and stuff like that, that actually lift the shoulders, that sort of stuff. Yep. Yeah. So what do we hear a lot with people? I carry my stress in my neck. Uh, mm. I have all this tightness up in here in the neck. And then so some of the symptoms beyond neck pain is they might have issues in their hands, right? Because of the uh, thoracic outlet syndrome, things like that. Um, so that might lead to a little bit of tension just because of the way they're breathing. And it tends to be shallow and quick breathing, right? which loads up too much oxygen which puts their body in a stress state because it's not able to deal with higher levels of CO2 when they actually go and do some kind of physical activity. And that's the counterintuitive part, I think, for most people is it's like, if you breathe less, you'll actually like, paradoxically, like oxygenate better. Because what happens is, is in what we're really trying to do by like nasal breathing or breath holds and stuff like that, we're building up CO2 tolerance. Mm -hmm. 
And as our CO2, our carbon dioxide, our tolerance for CO2 goes up, what happens is is oxygen releases more readily and more easily from hemoglobin and can go into the tissues. So it's actually almost like breathe less to breathe more or breathe better or feel better. You know what I'm saying? It's just, yep. it's a very counterintuitive process, but it's, it's an absolute game changer to getting things like anxiety or people to slow their thoughts down or s- slow their nervous system down. Yeah. So that, that would be, that would, those would be the two things, the breath work and then just honing in on um, your sleep routine. And even part of that could be breath work before you go to bed. Mm. Not like super intense, like, you know, huffing and puffing type of breathing. Maybe that would be for, for the day. But, um, but yeah, focusing on some sort of routine to calm yourself down at night, but definitely working on the mechanics and then how much, how much you're breathing and building up that tolerance. So the suggestion I've given to several people is just to go buy one of the cheapy little O2 saturation monitors yep. and just see where you're at. Are you always at like 9,900 or, you know, are you, is your baseline kind of more in the 96, 97 range? So once you once you get comfortable with that, knowing what that feels like, you can begin to explore with a little bit of breath holding to see. And I mean, that's where the protocols come in and the oxygen advantage. He talks about, okay, hold your breath for five seconds. There's all kinds of different protocols. But uh, what I've found for people who maybe they don't have the capacity to exercise, you know, for whatever reason, whether they're overweight, they got achy joints, is to to just start with the breathing Mm -hmm. and, and allow that to calm their nervous system down. And then from there, they might, be able to make some more steps. Maybe they begin to exercise. My my biggest thing as far as the homework is uh, before we start going too heavily into like like the nitty gritties of um, dietary plans, like oh this diet that diet, like let's get let's get your body moving. Yeah, get, go for a walk. You know, get 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 your body getting into that state where it knows like how to navigate space. Because this other thing I think of a lot of is if you don't have the ability to move your body through space. I'm almost thinking maybe there's a subconscious hesitation or fear or stress in addition to the actual conscious, like, I don't know if I can get across the street fast enough. Mm-hmm. You know? And this happens particularly for elderly people is like, you know, like they're having to step up over something, right? And if they trip, that's not good because maybe they have a hard time getting up. So that becomes a conscious and subconscious fear, stress to the nervous system. So let's get our body moving. Let's let's build our strength, build a little bit of balance, and then we can I'm clapping in the. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can then you begin to uh, you know improve your health overall. I love that man. And you and I were chatting before we recorded, and when we were chatting the other day, it's like the thought that just comes up right now. It's like in life, everything seems important until your health is compromised. And I think potentially all of us can relate. And we were talking about, you know, someone that we know mostly, for example, that has cancer. And, you know, I think today the stats are like one in two people have cancer. And I would, I would ask everyone, every person listening to this podcast, I'd be very shocked slash impressed if someone did not know someone, at least in their immediate circle, whether it's immediate family or close friends circle, at least one person that has cancer. Mm -hmm. And if the stats are approximately one to two people will develop cancer some type in their life, me and you who are very healthy, still that could be one of us could be developing it. And so we could be hard charging in our work and our business, fucking trying to kick ass, take numbers. (laughs) 
And then all of a sudden we get sidetracked with something. And then that is literally the only thing that we can focus on and it encompasses our whole life. And so I just want to anchor it back to, I just super appreciate everything that you shared because I I learned a lot today and bringing it back to removing interference, focusing on the nervous system and those three big things about sleep, uh, let's just say alignment, uh, and then sleep being things that you can use to, to regulate yourself better. As we close out, brother, uh, this has been so much fun. Is there anything that comes up that you'd love to close out with or share one piece of, of knowledge or, or a nugget uh, to close today out? Yeah, I think, you know, where, where we started, like you were saying before the podcast, we were talking about that, like everything's important until health gets in the way. Right. For me, I just, I think examples of that are, are very important. Um, to, to just reflect on like cancer is one of the big ones, you know, like if anyone's ever known a family member where it's like, oh yeah, you know, we're flying along, we're staying busy, we're on the grind. And then all of a sudden I don't quite feel so well, I'm going to go get tested. And it's like cancer, everything falls to the side. We have to deal with this. Otherwise none of that stuff is going to matter. I got, the, I got the house, I got the, this, and I got the, that you're not going to be alive in six months or whatever the thing is. Right. So if we, that's, that's more of the extreme example, life or death, but even if we dial it back a little bit to maybe a less extreme, um, comparatively like a less extreme injury or illness, right? Like, you know, right now, winter time for us is, you know, someone goes skiing or snowboarding, they break an ankle, they break a leg, an arm, everything changes in their life, at least for the immediate time while they're healing. Even if they sprain something. Roll an ankle. Fuck, I've done that. It's yep. like everything, everything gets compromised. What does that do to you psychologically? Oh, now, you know, for, for us, like, it's like, dang, now I can't train the way I want to, <laughs> right? Because that, that's a stress reliever for us, right? Now I got to do this. Now, I mean, I mean, if for me, that's why I don't snowboard or ski anymore. It's like, I can't afford to break my arms or jack myself up because then I can't even do my job. Right. Yep. Right. Like I can't help people. So, you know, like, all of those sorts of things. I work with people who are in the construction industry, right? If they, if they go and do something and they tweak their knee, well, it's like now they can't work. They can't provide for their family. So like everything's important until that health problem gets in the way. And that's where I think it's just, you know, not to make it doomy and gloomy, but do the homework, do the preventative stuff that you can do. So in that instance where something comes up, hopefully you can bounce back. And that's, that's my whole that's my whole concept. My whole idea is build your resilience, right? That's why I do the, you know, the resilience doc thing is on like, Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so build your resilience so that you can bounce back from things faster. Beautiful, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for dropping in with me, uh, for sticking with me this morning in our, in our ritual pre-podcast, our sauna ritual yeah. today. Uh, <laughs> Let's go. Thank you so much, brother. And uh, as we close can you just share, and we'll include this in the show notes, but where can people find you or if they wanted to reach out or had questions or anything like that? Yeah. So um, on all of the social medias, it's just at resilience underscore doc, D-O-C. That's where you can find me, message me and all that. And then uh, just a little plug over the next couple of weeks, you know, our buddy, Josh, PMPT. Yeah. Uh, we're actually creating essentially a movement based program really focused on getting to some of the root issues we see with people who suffer from migraines. Okay. It's one of the big things I see a lot of patients in the office who deal with migraines. Yeah. Uh, but what are the homework things that we can give them? We see some of these sort of uh, biomechanical dysfunctions throughout the way their body functions. Uh, so we're creating that product. Um, 
So I'm actually right now, we're, what month are we in right now? January? We're in very end of January. Yep. January, 2023. Um, we want to launch that in the next two months, but we need some beta testers. So send me a message. To that. All right. We're going to see if we can put this one up before for sure that goes out. Let's so, go. okay, let's make this shit happen. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, brother. Wonderful. Thank you, Drew. Thank Appreciate you. you, bro. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours. 